Welcome to the Glojo Podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Collel, and every week I'll be sharing thought-provoking, soul-soothing, and inspiring conversations from personal stories to insider tips and tricks. At the Glojo, you can always find what you need when you need it most. This is permission. Permission to be you, permission to be messy, permission to feel all the feels. So what do you say? Let's do this together. I'll see you in the Glojo. Hello and welcome to the Glojo podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Kalal, and today is an extra special episode because it is the final episode of 2021. That's right, the last episode of the year. Oh my gosh, where is time gone? How is it already almost January 2022? I honestly can't believe it. It's like we've been living in this weird time warp for the last couple of years. Now, if you're listening to this and it's 2022, hello, I hope it's going well so far. And don't worry, this episode is absolutely still relevant for you. I'm really excited because what I talk about in today's episode with my extra special guest is something that I personally plan on embracing more and more as I move through 2022 and beyond. And in my opinion, this is a perspective and an art and a practice that we should all really incorporate into our day-to-day lives. Now, if you're wondering what the heck I'm talking about, here it is. I am talking about the art of being flossom with none other than the fabulous Christina Mand Lacchiani. I like to describe Christina as a modern day philosopher. She's deep and she's wise and the way she discusses things and the way she writes is just so captivating. I've known Christina since 2009 when I moved overseas to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia to work at Mind Valley. If you haven't heard of Mind Valley yet, you're welcome. You can go check them out. I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. It's an absolutely groundbreaking company. They create incredible experiences virtually online and in person. They've even started creating what they call pop-up universities throughout Europe. So creative, so inspiring. And Christina is one of the original founders of Mind Valley. Now, a little bit more about Christina. She was born and raised in Estonia, and you'll notice that right away as soon as you hear her beautiful accent, and she was working in politics. It was shortly after that Christina and her husband, Vishen, founded Mind Valley in none other than New York City. It started as a small meditation business, and it's quickly grown into a global education organization that offers top training for peak human experience to hundreds of thousands. That's right hundreds of thousands of students all around the world. Now, I had the opportunity to work at Mind Valley in 2009, and I was over there for well over two years, and it absolutely changed my life. The people I met that I was living over there, the information that I was introduced to, the experiences that I had have truly shaped who I am today and how I see the world and what I want to do in the world. So make sure you check them out. But today, we're not here to talk about Mind Valley. We are here talking to Christina. I really appreciate her perspective and how she debates and ponders life topics. And this is what we talk about today. We talk about the art of being flossom. That's right, flossom. So what do you think this means? You know, we all have these flaws that we make ourselves wrong for. But what if we actually started to celebrate our flaws or quote unquote flaws? How awesome would that be? Hence, flossom. I know for me personally, 
that my quirks and the things that are different about me, the imperfections, the things that might be quote unquote weird, I've judged myself so harshly about these in the past. Now, how different would life be if we actually started to embrace all of who we are and celebrated that? This is exactly what Christina talks about. I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation I have with her. It's really, really inspiring. I also want to share that Christina is holding a live online intimate group experience that's starting January 3rd and it's going through to the end of the month. And this is a program that she's designing on the art of being flossom. So if you're really inspired by what you hear today, you actually have the opportunity to work closely with her. This is the first time she's ever done anything like this before. Who knows if she's going to do it again. So I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. All right. With that being said, let's get this party started. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope you find it enlightening and inspiring as we move into the new year. I will see you in the Glojo. Here we go. Hi, Christina. Welcome to the Glojo podcast. It is so good to have you here. Thank you, dear. And uh, you know, you always have such genius names for your businesses. It's amazing. (laughs) I really love Glojo. Well, thank you. The Glojo is inspired by a dojo. So I'd like to think of this as a modern day online playful dojo where people can go to have that dedication to self and sacred time for self to to grow. And like personal development doesn't need to be boring. It can be fun. So that's one of my missions here is to add a playful twist to some of the deeper, more challenging things in life. Oh, that's cool. That's that's good mission. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. And so I am so excited to be talking with you today. I met you. It's it was it's unbelievable. It was 2009 when I moved overseas and started working at Mine Valley. And so that's like 12 years and I'm getting chills all over just thinking about that. Because wow, so much has happened since then and it's been such an amazing journey and Um, You and I had a great time in Maui a couple of years ago. I've always loved you and been a fan, but I love everything you share on Instagram and everything you share on LinkedIn now because I'm following you there too. You have so much insight and this philosophical wisdom that I don't come across very often in this modern day and age. And I love your twist that you put on personal development. So I'm excited to chat with you today. I have a lot of questions, but before I continue talking, I'd love for you to take a moment and introduce yourself and share a bit about you and your journey and how you've ended up doing everything you've done from creating programs and being a world-class speaker to having a book coming out. There's so many incredible things. Thank you, dear. You know, I think the internet connection is a little bit uh, trippy. I did not know what's going on. And also I have a very funny background noise. If you hear something really like monstrous rumbling at the back, it's because they're cleaning the snow off of the street. (laughs) But uh, yes, thank you for this really kind introduction. And uh, I'm I'm happy you, you read my philosophy. I, I called myself Everyday Life Philosopher a few years ago. And I think, uh, as they say, you know, however you call the ship, that's how it's going to, that, that's the course it's going to take. So yes, that's been my course. But yeah, it all started long time ago, really long time ago. So I do not know how much background you want. But I usually do mention the fact that I was born in Soviet Union and I was raised in the Soviet Union because it makes a lot of sense about some quirks about me. And um 
Then when I was 14, when I was a teenager, things started changing. Everything changed. The whole world uh, went upside down, but in a different way, in a political way. And I actually ended up in business and in personal growth by accident because as a child of the Soviet system, I was growing up believing that I will be uh, a perfect cog in a big machine. Uh, it was a much more idealistic society as in, uh, you know, the, the society's ideals were more important than the humans, separate human beings. So yes, I was educated and and uh, brought up to to be uh, a cog in a big machine. But life took a different turn and I got married and ended up in New York, <laughs> the exact opposite of the Soviet Union. <laughs> and I started discovering myself from zero. So if I started my career in, in government, I ended it, well, not ended yet, <laughs> but it took me actually with, with twists and turns into business, something I never expected. And personal growth, same story. It was an is uh, a huge love of my ex-husband, Vishen, who is a friend of yours too. <laughs> and I just had nothing better to do but than to help him. But of course, that was 20 years ago, less than 20 years ago, but almost. And a lot of things happened since then as well, including meeting you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing about your background. And I've known where you were born and raised. And it's crazy to think that it was 20 years ago that you found yourself in New York. And that is the complete opposite. I always think that it's so interesting where our life journey takes us and how everything that we do along the way comes together at certain points in our life and really highlights what our purpose is and what we're here to do. And so for you, I know that you have a program coming out in the new year called Flossom. And as soon as I saw this post, I was like, I need to talk to Christina because this <laughs> is the most amazing concept. And everything you talk about, I would sum it up and you'll sum it up way better. But one of the things I love is about authenticity and being true to yourself. And when I saw Flossom, I'm like, do you know what? It is the flaws and the quirks, like you said, that actually make us awesome and that make us unique. But so often, those are the things that we beat ourselves up about. We don't accept ourselves. We make ourselves wrong for being how we are. When we're not supposed to fit into a cog, nobody's meant to fit into a cog, even if society makes us feel this way. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on Flossom and this term and where you found it and the inspiration behind this new program that you're coming out with. So I would I would really love to attribute this beautiful word to someone who it belongs to, but I really don't know. It's uh, it was an orphan, and I adopted. It's my orphan adopted child. <laughs> so I found it somewhere on the internet. You know how social media is like the <laughs> the best source of wisdom, life's wisdom, and most of it is anonymous. So yes, I I really don't know where this word came from. I heard it a few years ago. Uh, I loved it. It totally resonated with me. But surprisingly, it's never been seized by anyone. So since the child was orphaned, I adopted it. Uh, so now I'm using it. But uh, back to, to why Flossom and, and why that's the probably the main theme of the program is, you know, there's this concept where when you fall in love, you don't fall in love with the real person, but with the ideal. Uh, in relationship, it happens a lot uh, because we all have some kind of picture of, you know, a list of uh, what would be my ideal partner. 
even if it's unconscious, but we usually have our type. So when we find someone and we start falling in love, psychologically what happens is that we usually emphasize the qualities that we like and it seems that this is the dream come true and we ignore the things which are not congruent with our idea of what's the ideal relationship. And what happens is that after the hormones uh, subside after a certain time and the in-love period is over, we start uh, seeing the real person. And it's an evolution of any relationship and no matter how much you might love your partner, but there was a period of infatuation, of in-loveness, which uh, was a little bit maybe not very realistic and delirious. So what happens is that when those hormones come down and you see the real person, there is this uh, fork in the road. You might actually accept the person as the person is and keep loving that person just being more realistic about what that person is, seeing that person's quirks and faults, right? The flawsomeness, but still loving that person. Another option is that you see the real person and you feel disillusioned and uh, love disappears and you fall out of love person. Another option is that you see the real person and you feel disillusioned and uh, love disappears and you fall out of love. So what happens with us is we do a very similar thing to ourselves, except that it doesn't have those high hormones, but almost every person has some kind of ideal of what it means to be a perfect version of me. So the same way, like in love, when you are in love with someone, you are not really in love with a real person. It's an ideal picture in your head. It's not a reality. The same thing happens to yourself. You have this picture of perfection in your head and you are willing to love that perfect picture. But when, the moment you're reminded that the reality is not maybe exactly that perfect, it may be a little bit different, then you are at that fork road again. Are you willing to keep loving yourself despite your quirks and flaws? Or is that the moment of disillusionment and disappointment? What I've noticed that unfortunately, most of us, we may be more tolerating to other people, especially if it's your child. You're willing to love your child even if the child is not perfect. But when it comes to ourselves, we go into this interesting trade. I will love myself if I am the picture of perfection, which is in my head, if I'm the ideal. And we believe this is the path of development and transformation. In fact, I've heard because I talk about self-love and self-acceptance and happiness, all the fluffy topics for many years now. And of course, I get argued with and criticized. So the biggest criticism that I get is that, but self-criticism is healthy. Shouldn't you be discontent? Because if you're content with what you are, you're not going to grow and evolve. And that's such an interesting concept because I believe that all our problems in the relationship with ourselves come from the lack of love. So very often when they think that something is abundance of love, it is actually a distortion of actual love. So without going too deep into that, the idea of flawsome is that, you know, your flaws are not something to love yourself despite of. So it's not despite your imperfection that you should be loving yourself. It is because of your imperfection that gives, like your imperfection, your uniqueness, your weirdness, your quirks, everything that you think is shameful about you. That's what makes you you. In fact, I think if you go deep into that, you'll find strength in that. Strength in what you are not willing to love. So that's uh, very uh, like briefly about what what is flossom about. 
Well, thank you for sharing. And yeah, like I said, you're a modern day philosopher. (laughs) It's so interesting how people challenge you because I love the fluffy topics as well. I love self-acceptance, self-love, self-expression. And that's been a huge part of my personal journey. There have been so many things that I've made myself wrong for over the years, different things that I've felt like there's something wrong with me. And I know for me, one of the patterns that I've had in my personal life is to, I feel like I need to wait until everything is perfect or until I lose the weight or I achieve this in business or I do this in all these different areas to then allow myself to enjoy or like that will make me worthy of the next thing in life. That will make me worthy of the ideal relationship or partnership or whatever it is. And it's just crazy because we're always going to be evolving. Where do you think this comes from? Why do we make ourselves wrong? And why do we not accept the things that are truly unique about us? Because I believe we all came here to be exactly who we are, but yet we spend most of our life trying to hide what makes us us and like put on this polished, shiny look. When in reality, like we've got it backwards. Why do you think this is? Because it's a... I don't want to say it's a pandemic in and of itself, but it kind of is. <laughs> no, it is. You know, it's a dangerous word. Well, uh, it's it's not a simple question. In fact, it's such a deep question that you could make like a full day of training just talking about that. But I want to, I will loosely quote one of my favorite authors, Jane Austen. <laughs> and in her very famous novel, Pride and Prejudice, there's this one moment where uh, the main characters are discussing, there's a bunch of them are discussing what it is to be an ideal woman, like a perfect woman. And they all throw all sorts of things, you know, she should know the languages and draw and play music and whatnot and read. And then the main character, Elizabeth Bennett says, oh my God, that would be she doesn't say, oh my God, obviously it's it's contemporary way of speaking, but she says, that would be a fearsome sight to behold. And it's so funny because every time I see those pictures of perfection on Instagram mostly, (laughs) but sometimes in real life as well, uh, those people who are so, so, so perfect, I hear Elizabeth Bennett in my head saying, that would be a fearsome sight to behold. (laughs) Because truly, you know, Perfection, it's almost like not real. What in life is perfect? It's snowing here in Estonia. And look at the snowflakes. They're so different. None of them is a picture of perfection. And not all of them are actually even symmetrical, as far as I know. It's such a bizarre thing to expect perfection. If you look at nature, the perfection of nature is in its imperfection, is in its uncertainty and unpredictability and contradictory uh, everything is is the opposite so where it comes from i think there are so many different ways how we get to that uh one of them is we sincerely believe that this is the way it's in a way it's a delusion we think that to be worthy we have to be really really uh good in everything to be worthy of anything Literally, we are used to that. We are trained to that since childhood. Even this haggling for love, a lot of parents unconsciously do that. They love their children, but they take give and take love depending on circumstances to to train the kids. So, and I have done that. I wouldn't say it's in our nature, but we learn it, and it's it's so natural and so easy to do. So, a child 
uh, does something good and you go like, oh my God, you're so good. You, and, and you kind of give love to a child as a compensation for the child behaving well. Yet when the child is doing something bad, how many parents pretend that they actually don't love their children when they're bad? And I've done that too. Not that I specifically want to take away love, but I'm angry and I've seen my children scared. When I once saw my daughter being scared because I was angry with her and I asked her, What's what's going on? She literally said, I thought you don't love me. And when she said that was such a wake-up call, she thought that my love needed to be earned and it could be taken away, that it's not something that is there for her no matter what. And we do that to ourselves because we are brought up this way. If not by our parents, then at least by our teachers, friends, we do that to each other all the time. You don't behave the way I want you. I'm going to be upset and being upset means I'm going to withdraw my love from you or my attention or my care or my kindness and goodness. And we do that to ourselves because on one side, we have this interesting belief that to be worthy, you have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. This uh, Stepford wife type of perfect, plastic perfect, this fearsome sight. And if you're not, then you're not worthy of your own love. Wow, you're right. This could be a full day workshop <laughs> or like a month long workshop because as you were talking, <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, this does get into the, the the whole conversation of unconditional love and how can we learn to unconditionally love ourselves and accept ourselves and others in our life. But I truly believe in I love this. I was watching a video of yours, uh, a Mind Valley talk on YouTube. And what did you say? I have the quote here. The surest way to change the way you influence the world is to change your relationship with yourself. I'm going to yes. read that once more because I just think like I get chills. The surest way to change the way you influence the world is to change your relationship with yourself. And I do believe that all roads lead back to ourselves and our relationship with ourselves. And so what are some tips that you have for people to learn how to, how to be kind to themselves and accept themselves and love themselves? And I love how you said, like, don't love yourself despite, because I caught myself. I almost said, despite the flaws or despite what we don't accept ourselves, but it's like, in spite of, we should actually love ourselves more because of all the quirks and different things. So yeah, what are some tips that you have for people on just how to love yourself, flaws and all. <laughs> you know, it's a process actually. So there is no way to give one simple tip that mm -hmm. do this. Yeah. I mean, of course, there are hacks that people suggest, um, you know, all sorts of practices and meditations and, and all sorts of working on the level of just convincing yourself that you're worth it, worthy of love, which is great. But I think it is a process. It is a process. And if you really want to learn to love yourself unconditionally, really unconditionally, the way a parent can love their child. And I think uh, a parent's love for the child is the closest that we get to unconditional love in, in this interesting world. <laughs> the closest we naturally get to love, unconditional love. 
But it, for you to learn that, you have to go through uh, through some process of getting know, to know yourself, of being honest with yourself, of actually forgiving yourself for not being perfect, accepting your imperfections, uh, seeing the value in your imperfections. That's usually not actually so hard. And then when you go through the process, that's when it suddenly clicks into place. So it's, it's not something that I can just say, uh, this is the tip and, and it will work for you in one month if you just keep doing it persistently. That's why we can talk about that here and there, and then maybe some of the ideas will land into you. The thing is that, you see, in personal growth, we have this interesting thing, and a lot of perfectionists will resonate with that. We think that if we work really hard, if we learn, study really well, we'll figure it out. But knowledge is very different. Like, knowledge doesn't change your life. Knowledge is like a book on a shelf. It is useless unless you take this book out and you read it and you experience it. That's when the book stops being just a collection of, of words and becomes something else. So the same with, with knowledge. We have so much knowledge, but as long as it is on our cognitive level with your brain, you get it. This is the truth. You have to love yourself unconditionally. But that knowledge will only change your life if you experience it. If you experience the moment where you are so like where you make a mistake and you realize that you made a mistake, but you are still capable of loving yourself in that moment. That's when the knowledge becomes experience. And when the knowledge becomes experience, that's when it's going to change your life. That's why there is no way for me in five minutes to give you something that will actually give you the experience. But what I can say is that this process is a one-way street. So if you embark on that road and on that journey, you can't go back. Because the journey uh, means that you have to become honest with yourself. You have to honestly see who you are. You have to be um, open about this is what I am. And then there's a process of learning to accept and live with that and see the value in that. But the thing is that once you switch on the authenticity, you can't switch it off at will. It doesn't work like that. It's like jumping with a parachute out of the plane. Once you make that step, you're flying down. There, You can't put the parachute back and go back to the plane. That's not a skydive. That's a bungee jump. <laughs> That's a very, very good analogy. And it's so true. I know there's been times in my life where I'm like, I just want to bottle it all back up and pretend that I never opened this can of worms. <laughs> and let's just go back to how life used to be before I started this journey. And I do believe that we all have our unique journeys. And for some of us, it really is this, this path of personal growth and in many cases, accelerated personal growth by the different things that we study and groups that we find ourselves in and people we learn from. And you're right. It's so funny because I caught myself saying like, okay, give us tips. And that's a perfectionism. That's wanting to know what's the formula so that I have it <laughs> and then I can do it and then everything can be okay. You said something twice. And the first time you said this, I made a mental note to follow up with you <laughs> on it because I think this is a really, really important part of the process is being honest with ourselves. So we, you and I were having a conversation before we started the interview and I was sharing, just catching you up briefly on the last, like last couple of years. And there was a time in my life where I knew I, I wasn't being fully honest with myself. 
I was ignoring the little voice that was inside of my head and not wanting to be fully present to what was true for me at that point in my life. I wasn't being honest with myself. I was tricking myself in so many ways and I had a rude awakening and a wake up call and I had to make a lot of changes, but now my life is way simpler and I'm so much more happy. <laughs> like in life. And after that experience, I, I read this Gay Hendricks book called The Five mm-hmm. Wishes. And two of my five wishes, these are like my big five wishes. And this doesn't even really suit me in some ways, but maybe it does. One was to, by the end of my life, I want to know that I've enjoyed nature and I've spent time in nature. Um, and just connecting in the stillness. And I do learn from nature. And I love how you said nature is imperfect, but that's actually exactly how it's supposed to be. Nothing in nature is fully straight. And I learned that when I went to Barcelona and went to yeah. Gaudi's work, nothing that he does is perfectly straight because it's inspired by nature. And how beautiful is that? The second thing was I wanted to read all of my books before before I died. I want to read all the books that I bought because I buy so many books and I don't read them. And I'm going to have to re-listen and go through this exercise. But at that point in my life, I was just craving simplicity. And mm. I wasn't living that way. I was not being honest with my personal truth in so many ways. And those are some minor examples to show, but my life was pretty, pretty glitzy and flying all over the place and all these things. And really all I wanted to do was be in nature and read books. Mm. <laughs> so it's so interesting. What's been your experience and your journey of being honest with yourself? Because mm. sometimes I know for me personally, I don't want to admit the truth because if I admit the truth, it means I'm going to have to make some really uncomfortable changes, have some difficult conversations, let go of the known, step into the unknown. What has your experience been like with this? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I I might get to my experience. Uh, You know, it's another topic which is super interesting, but also a a little bit dangerous because... uh, Honesty is such a highly valued quality and um, dishonesty is uh, something which in a lot of contexts is very badly taken. So admitting to yourself that you're not honest to yourself is not even about what you're not honest about with yourself. Like, let's say you're successful and you tell yourself, I'm really good because I, I achieved the success. So it's not about admitting that success doesn't mean anything to you. It's actually even admitting the fact that you were not honest with yourself because not being honest is frowned upon, right? You can't be uh, lying to anyone, to you either, to yourself either. So it's a really hard conversation. And I think we as a society have to relax a little bit about those uh, those absolutes. It's not so black and white and it's not so simple. And we should be... Uh, okay with the idea that everybody lies. I wouldn't say that all the time, but we lie a lot. And there are a lot of different ways of lying. And the thing with deception is, or or delusion, rather, delusion, the nature of delusion is that you're not aware of it. Because otherwise, it wouldn't be delusion. So most of the people, if I, and I've asked that questions a lot, I've asked, so how do you rate? How honest are you with yourself? Most people say they are honest with themselves and they truly believe that. So mm-hmm. it's such an interesting, it, it is a little bit philosophical though, because what's the point of telling someone like, oh, you're lying to yourself. <laughs> how does it, how's it going to change that person? But why do we even go down that path? Well, the thing is that in psychology, there's this interesting thing about coping mechanisms. 
I think they're called escape mechanisms, actually, coping strategies and escape mechanisms. So when we are faced with something that is unpleasant, uh, we have to react somehow to, to that unpleasantness. And most of those reactions are not really healthy for us. There are a few which are, but most of them, the most natural reactions are not super healthy to us. So most of them are around distorting reality to a degree. So the most extreme mm -hmm. reactions is, for example, denial. Something happens and you can't believe that this is happening. If we go back to beginning of 2020, And the pandemic hit and everything got closed. Well, I admit that I was in denial about the fact that it will last for years. Right. Me too. I couldn't believe that. So this is a natural reaction. Or let's say if you lose someone that you love very much, a lot of people out of huge uh, trauma get into this period of denial, of not accepting the reality. And then from that extreme reaction, it's You know, there are less extreme reactions, but a lot of them are built on distorting the reality. Another one is, for example, where you, uh, you're trying to explain the reality to your advantage. Or when you don't like something, you, rather than admitting that something about you is amiss, you attribute to, to someone else. It's called projection. Mm -hmm. So a lot of righteous reactions are actually projection. You can't admit that you, for example, have sinful thoughts. <laughs> so you would be extra vigilant about someone else exhibiting those so-called sinful thoughts, right? There were a lot of different ways and in different schools, they uh, talk about like starting from 10 to 30 different ways of us coping with unpleasant reality. And most of those mechanisms, unfortunately, are based in some kind of distortion of reality. So naturally, if we see that the real me is not what my ideal, I'm, I'm in love with the ideal picture of me, the perfection. This is what I'm willing to love. Not the one which has five extra kilos around the belly. <laughs> I love myself if I could just lose that, that extra size on my clothes, right? A lot of us do that. If, if I could just be a little bit more younger looking or... Mm -hmm. Whatever. I, I'm talking about appearances because it's easier uh, as an illustration. But the thing is that whenever the reality doesn't correspond to the picture of perfection, it is an unpleasant emotion and an unpleasant feeling. And that's where our natural uh, escape mechanisms switch on. And a lot of them are based in distorting reality. When you think about these coping mechanisms, it's interesting because in some ways, I think that they're for survival and they keep us safe. Like when you lose someone who you really <laughs> love, you go into this state of delusion and you're maybe not fully able to process things in that moment, but it is a part of you keeping you safe. But then to what extent, when is that like good for the time being almost like fight or flight? But then if you're living in that constant state of delusion and not being honest with yourself, that's when the harmful effects can really start to kick in. This is bouncing around a little bit, but I'm trusting that it's all going to weave together. You're so right about so many things. One, it is uncomfortable to say we're not honest with ourselves because honesty and being trustworthy and loyal, all of those things are so highly regarded. And so it takes, I think it takes a lot of courage to even just admit when you're wrong to yourself and to start to look at yourself in, in, in a way and still be kind and still love yourself. So when it comes to self-acceptance and authenticity, 
there's something that feels so exciting about that and joyous, but there's also something that can be really uncomfortable about just sitting with your authentic self and kind of, it's almost like this raw, vulnerable, exposed feeling. What <laughs> I know for me, I'm, I'm trying to just get better at being like, you can, it's okay for things to be uncomfortable. It's okay to feel a little uncomfortable. Just like be present with it, accept it. Don't make it wrong because we place these meanings on feelings. And so what has your experience been around living an authentic life and being true to yourself and and being authentic? Because for me, it's exciting and it's aspirational, but it's also really uncomfortable. And I feel like we don't talk about the vulnerability of authenticity enough. Mm. Well, you know, my answer to you would be, if it is uncomfortable, then maybe it is not authentic to you. Mm. Because that's the interesting thing. I think we live in the era where we have some kind of tyranny about authenticity and vulnerability. We understand those terms in one particular way. And we equate certain signs with authenticity or vulnerability. But you know, the, the thing with authenticity, and you quoted me on that, you said, uh, your influence on the world depends on your relationship with yourself. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing myself right now. Uh, the thing with authenticity, it is an internal process. So that quote comes from a speech that I made at an event, which was literally called increase your influence or expand your influence, something like that. It was so funny because I came to talk about how do you uh, expand your influence in the world? And my topic is authenticity, where authenticity is a completely different process altogether. The thing is that influence is a force with a direction. To influence, for me to influence this cup, I have to exert the force and, you know, this cup is outside me. The force comes from within me. That's influence. In, in essence, I can break it. It's my influence on the cup or I can, I don't know, pour water into it. It's my influence on the cup. Authenticity is a process within. It is not interaction with the outside world. It is your relationship with yourself. Of course, we don't have a proper uh, definition for authenticity in science. The only place where authenticity is being used as a term, as a scientific term, is actually anthropology. So if we base it on the initial meaning of that word, authenticity means being true to your real essence. Where does the world even come into that? Yeah. There's no world in authenticity. Yes, the world will react to your authenticity in one way or another, but it is not about your interaction with the world. Authenticity is about your interaction with yourself. So with that assumption, why do we tell people what it means to be authentic? Yeah. You know, I go to so many interviews and one of the red flags for me, not red flags, it's more like a red cloth to the bull, is when they ask me, so what was your most painful experience in business and how did you grow from that? And I'm like, oh God. The thing is that I, I can go on, on another rant about vulnerability, but we live in a society which actually dictates what it means to be authentic. So we believe that there is a certain way to be authentic, but this is authentic to someone else. Like what for you being authentic might mean to be actually raw and open and, you know, be an open book and talk yeah. about things which are unpleasant or dig deep into things that are pleasant. Yeah. And for but other people, be authentic for someone else. I was going right. on stage on authenticity and I was wondering, 
oh, I'm going to talk about authenticity. Should I have makeup? And I had a makeup artist actually flown specifically for me to make my face look beautiful on stage for the pictures and the videos. And I was having a battle in my head thinking, but no, I'm talking about authenticity. How can I go on stage being wearing makeup? But that's being authentically me. Wanting to look good is being authentically me. That's you always look amazing. (laughs) And if somebody says that being plastic is not authentic, but that might be exactly the authentic expression of that particular person, who am I to judge? There is a different question whether they accept their natural beauty. But again, who am I to give them diagnosis? So your authenticity is only your relationship with yourself and don't let anyone else tell you what it means to be really you. Mm. If you're uncomfortable, that maybe that's not being you. Maybe that's actually trying to be something that somebody else expects from you. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I can't wait to re-listen to this and let it soak in. Sometimes it doesn't feel good to share. And so is that actually authentic for me or is that how I'm showing up? Because I, I think that, oh, I should be wear my vulnerability like a badge of honor and go around. And <laughs> like I love Brene Brown's work, but I think in some ways I can see where I've taken on some of those things. And so I think what's coming to mind for me around authenticity, when I just love you. Can I just, yeah, sorry, I'm interrupting you. But if you follow Brene Brown on Instagram, you would have noticed that recently, it was this year that she came up with a different uh, concept. And actually she's been quoted a lot on that, where she says, vulnerability without boundaries is not vulnerability. Yeah. She's actually taking a step back on what she was saying. And it is Brene Brown who actually, in her TED speech, she said, vulnerability is making a step despite not knowing how the world is going to accept that. Mm -hmm. It's about acting in the uncertainty. It has nothing to do with you sharing your darkest secrets. You know, I can tell a story, something which will make me cry on stage, but I know perfectly well that people will start crying. And when I tell that story, knowing their reaction, this is not me being vulnerable. This is me manipulating my personal life experience for the sake of people getting an experience that I want them to get. Yet when I tell a stupid joke, I might be vulnerable in that moment because I do not know how people are going to receive it because I've never told this joke. Right. Oh, this was good. I'm letting this sink in right now. And I have noticed that she's talked about boundaries. And I'm having one of those moments where things are clicking into place. And I'm remembering as well when she said, people need to earn your vulnerability. Don't just go around sharing things with everyone. I'm excited to explore this a bit. And this is something that's also come to mind when you were talking. Curiosity. Curiosity is one of my personal values. And I love exploring and being almost like a researcher and a a scientist, like, why do I think this? Or why am I showing up that way? Or why do I think that? And so what's your relationship with curiosity? And what's your, I guess, what's your approach to self-awareness as well? There's something huge here with the awareness and curiosity, and then how that all leads into honoring and accepting. You know, I think curiosity is a really good aid for finding courage. And I learned that from another wonderful speaker, Susan David, 
So she talks about how to deal with unpleasant emotions. And uh, a lot of the times unpleasant emotions are connected to other people. So it's an, an interaction with them. For example, just very simple scenario. You go for a complicated conversation with a person that you care about and the outcome does matter to you. So maybe, for example, you have something unpleasant to share. You're upset. You can't live with that. But still, you care about this person. You don't want that person to be angry with you or whatever. A very simple example, <laughs> saying someone that you love them, right? These are the scary scenarios. Maybe not the last one so much, <laughs> but but we we often have those scary moments where it's so difficult. So often rather than making a plunge or a leap of faith, we are trying to secure our escape routes and to make <laughs> it maybe not so scary. So I learned it from uh, Susan David. She talks about curiosity. So if I take curiosity as the filter through which I'm looking at this scary experience, it becomes much more bearable and easier. Well, if I know that I'm going to survive physically, I'm not going to die, uh, then that's what helps me. I go into conversation and I try to think from the point of view of curiosity, not from the point of view of fear, like I'm scared of that reaction, but I'm curious what would it be. I'm curious how I will react. I'm curious if I'm going to be able to, you know, to, to show up better than last time. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I've never heard it quite like that before. I have so many personal things that I'm going to go explore and be curious <laughs> about after our conversation today. And so I know that you're working on a book. What is, what can we expect? Because personally, I'm so excited to read this book and to share it and, and help spread the word, but I would love to hear what are you working on behind the scenes right now and what's really exciting to you? So the book, uh, the book is one of the, the few big projects right now. And I'm done with the manuscript, of course, so there will be parts I will be rewriting, but it's a little bit, um, unsettling moment where it's not completely in my hands anymore because all of this year, it was me writing the manuscript. It was a very intimate relationship between me and the book, but now I'm opening it up to the world and there's the first editing round happening soon right now, but yeah. soon. <laughs> so it's coming. It, it, it is taking shape. Uh, and it is uh, some things that we talked about that will, will be there, but generally I call it becoming flossome. I do not know marketing team will tell what the actual name will be. <laughs> but for me, it's, I, I used to have the first name was actually finding the path back, but it's not an autobiography. And that's an important thing. It's completely not autobiography. And, you know, we were just talking about vulnerability. I don't like just sharing my story. When people tell me, so tell me your story. I'm like, uh, it's not interesting. <laughs> but uh, the funny thing is that when I try to make a point, I'll share the things I never would like to share because they become instrumental for illustration. So this book is not an autobiography, but I do use my life for marketing purposes. <laughs> As in, I'm actually explaining a lot of concepts through my own experience because it's so much easier to understand uh, rather than an abstract contact, a concept. I was telling you, oh, we trade love for service or for behaving in a certain way. But then when I explained it with a child, it was easier to understand. Right. So that book is about uh, how do you go through that process of actually becoming honest with yourself, of uh, accepting yourself for what you are and, and finding the strength in, in your quirks and imperfections. Yeah, I love it. Well, I'm personally really excited for this. So another one of my five wishes when I went through that exercise from Gay Hendricks was to be a best-selling author and write a book. 
And there's something really exciting about that. And then as you were talking about the the point where you're at, where it's like, okay, I wrote the manuscript, now I'm handing it over. I'm like, ooh, that takes courage. And also there'd be something scary about it at the same time, because it's almost out of your control now. (laughs) You know, I'm the queen of awkward analogies, but it's like being pregnant with a child. As as scary as it might be to have the child out of your belly, you wouldn't keep it in either. (laughs) So at some point in this process, I I was actually really excited about sharing it with someone else because you start doing in your own part Mm -hmm. and we don't evolve like that. Yeah. I mean, our relationship with the world is usually the reflection of our relationship with ourselves, but we need that interaction. If we don't have that interaction, we, we can't really grow so much. It's, it's just so It's just stagnant. So at some point after a half a year of writing the manuscript, I was actually quite eager uh, for someone to read it and to give me any feedback. You you know, if you make a sound and it doesn't vibrate back at you, uh, is there a sound at all? You know, all the musical instruments have a soundboard for the sound to vibrate. It's an old philosophical question. If the tree falls, there's no one to hear it. Does it make a sound? Well, physically talking from the point of view of physics, of course, it does make a sound. It has the sound wave. But the same thing with my book doesn't matter if it's not out in the world. It doesn't. Oh, so beautiful. What is the, what is it called? Is it Schlesinger's cat? Do you know the, it's oh, the Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> yes. I have it in my book as well. <laughs> cat, yes. <laughs> yes, it could be a dead or alive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You never know. Oh, that's so good. So you're releasing, it's a live experience with you and it's on, we'll say the art of being flossom and it's coming January 3rd. What can people expect? And tell me about this. And then how can people learn more and get involved? So the God of the Stancer, <laughs> because I don't pretend, sometimes I lie to myself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that I actually, I need the experience with people. It's the same thing. I've yeah. been an author, I've been in a personal growth, I've been a teacher, I've been a student. And as an author, I've mostly spoken from stage. I'm not a therapist and I'm not a coach. So I don't have experience with real life people. <laughs> so that's why I wanted to have a group of real people to have a little bit more of a feedback. So my only real life people, actually people like Julian who ask me yeah. questions on, on shows and podcasts. So uh, I, I just crave a little bit more interaction with, with, with people so that my ideas, my theories that they actually meet other life circumstances, not just my own. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I'm doing it. And it is a live group. Uh, I will have uh, one full month working with that live group, following a curriculum, which will probably end up being later a Mind Valley quest yeah. <laughs> or a new iteration of my old quest. But that live group is uh, is a little bit of improvisation. Of course, there's a lot of work in the basis. I mean, I've worked for years now, but it is a little bit of improvisation because that's the point of it too. To dance. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love it. And I love that that you're just so honest about it. And I know I'll be honest too. So I'm planning a workshop in the new year. I know it's going to be in February. And I do, I have this desire. Like I, I sit on the microphone and I have, I do soul bite episodes, which are solo episodes. And then I do interviews. So I'm either talking to myself or talking to incredible people like yourself, but I want to have experiences 
with other people as well and get connected with the Glojo community and hear feedback, like what's resonating, what lands, what questions do you have? And I just think that more now than ever, being connected is so important and developing connections. Like I have hermit tendencies big time and some people wouldn't believe me because I'm also pretty outgoing, but I love to just be alone and I'm pretty introverted actually. And I need to make sure that I'm still connecting with people. So I love that you did that. And I'm going to do my own little mini version (laughs) and we'll see what comes to life. So, (laughs) you know, I am actually incredibly out of my comfort zone doing it. Yeah, (laughs) I'm afraid of people. I don't know. (laughs) So you can imagine me at some of the Mind Valley events. (laughs) Yeah. And do you know what? I commend you for doing it anyways, knowing that it's outside of your comfort zone and dancing with it. I feel like that's a very (laughs) Glojo, a Glojo-esque thing to do. So well, you have to, I think it's Harv Eker who says that, yeah, the size of your comfort zone is the proportion to the size of your success. So mm-hmm. whenever I do something which I don't like, like going to the dentist, yeah. I tell myself somewhere, I'm investing into my future success. I'm getting out of my comfort zone. Yeah. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, I know that even if I mess up, I'll, I'll be okay. <laughs> I'll, I'm right. not going to withdraw my own love for not doing my best job. Yeah. Yeah, that's such an amazing perspective to have. And I'm going to share one other thing, because this is something that I've been simmering on personally. So one, an edge for me is sharing on social media. I want to share more um, and write more. And you really inspire me because I love everything that you that you share. But what I've realized lately, it's like it was a huge edge for me to start this podcast. And I was so nervous. And then there was the excitement of it. And now it's clicking along. It's part of my routine. And I feel very comfortable. And when I feel very comfortable, I'm starting to realize this is when I start to second guess things and I want to make a big deal about really nothing. And it's like, oh, what if this feeling was just a reminder, like a little tap on the door, like knock, 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 you're ready for the next thing. You're ready Mm. to grow in a new way. And so I realize that I start to like catastrophize or make or question things and make a whole you know, hubbub out of really nothing, just when I feel comfortable. (laughs) And I think it's my way of being, of shaking things up, but I'm learning that this is a pattern for me. And you know, I was interviewing a guy, it was some Russian, Russian author, and actually asked him this question about getting out of your comfort zone. Because the question is, uh, when is it reasonable? It's when you're young, when you're in your 20s, I guess most most of the time it is reasonable to get out of your comfort zone, uh, except of course, like what's, what does it mean getting out of your comfort zones, doing something uh, for, let's say for your business or writing your book, which is also uncomfortable mm-hmm. or, or going on stage or jumping out of the plane, which might be a silly thing, although a very enjoyable one. So the thing is that I asked him about this dilemma. Do you really have to always be uncomfortable? Yeah. Isn't that a slightly unpleasant life, right? If you're always uncomfortable. And uh, his answer was very mature. He said, you have to ask yourself, why are you doing this? Mm. If it does serve a greater purpose, then yes, you have to become uncomfortable. But if you're doing it just for the sake of being uncomfortable, then 
maybe it is not really that important. Yeah, that's beautiful too. It's interesting because when can we just be okay and just enjoy the present moment? And so I like it. What is the purpose of the discomfort? And for me, I think it's, uh, this one is a soul knocking. I know it. There's the different types now. <laughs> and I just figured this out. I'm like, oh, this is me being like, knock, knock, knock. Okay, you're ready for the next level now, like in Mario Kart. And when am I going to be okay, right? Yeah. So you ask something like that. I think it's when you decide, right? Oh God. Yeah, that's true. It's, and these things, we can decide to be happy. We can decide to be okay. No, no, that's, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Tell me, how does it work? It's the concept which is in the head and you can't really just decide. You have to be ready for that decision. Yeah, it is a decision. Yes. But if you're not ready for that decision, you are not going to be deciding it. Yeah. You're not going to make it. You can't force someone into transformation. Yeah. It just doesn't work like that. So yes, it is when you do, you decide, but you might need to go through a certain journey for you to be ready for this decision. Right. A very simple, uh, again, personal life. There's this concept about happiness is within you, right? It's in your mm -hmm. hands. Mm -hmm. We kind of all know that, but it doesn't help. And I remember when Hayden was going through a surgery, it definitely didn't help. And you might right. have heard that story. I shared it on stage quite a few times because the, the one and a half hours that I was waiting for him in the waiting room before he get, got out of the surgery, I was not happy. And I could tell myself all I wanted, the happiness is in my hands. I wasn't happy. Right. I was quite miserable and worried and scared. Yeah. It was a few years later when I was in the car and I heard some popular song on the radio, which had like the very simple line, everything is going to be okay. And it was just, it had this older tune. And I suddenly felt like I was 18 again before I had a husband and children and, and business and all the worries in the world. You know, the young, carefree person, still very optimistic and hopeful and hardly anything to worry about. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly, in that moment, when I was listening to that, that song, I felt like that young person from 20 years earlier. And it was somewhere on the cellular level where I realized that I haven't changed from that person. Mm -hmm. I have accumulated certain things in my life, but deep inside, I'm still the same young person. And as long as this still, this young person is still there, no matter what happens to my life, I'm going to be okay. So yes, happiness is within me somewhere in there. Yeah. But it is not a thought in your head, oh, happiness is within me. It's a feeling in your cells, in your body. Yeah. That deep knowing that no matter what happens, even if you go through the deepest, darkest moments, you are going to be okay. It is still there. I feel it. I'm feeling, <laughs> I feel like the rest of my day, I'm going to be like, woohoo, <laughs> happiness <laughs> is in me. But you're right. And I love that you said it is our decision but we're not always ready. And I know as someone who has invested so much in personal growth and development, and I'm technically a clinical hypnotherapist and an NLP master and all these things. And I'm like, man, why am I so messed up still? But there's certain things in my life that I have not been ready to let go of. And I've been letting go of certain things. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's so much easier this way. But I wouldn't have been able to let go before. Because I yes. wasn't ready. And so you're right. This is revolutionary. There's something <laughs> so true about it. It is always our choice and it's always available. But what's our level of readiness? And I think I've tried personally, you know, gone like, boom, kind of smash up against the, well, that didn't work, wasn't quite ready, go back and, and come back again. And in some ways, 
I'm still not ready for some things. And I'm going to trust that I'll be ready when I'm ready. And that's divine timing, I guess. <laughs> and if you're not ready, then you're not ready that it's not yeah. the journey. Yeah. And you still enjoy it. Yeah. It's that's so the true. Question, really. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I have a few things coming to mind where it's like, wait, just take a step back. Don't put so much pressure on myself. Don't put so much stress to try to figure it out. Just live and enjoy. Uh, still be intentional, but there's certain things where I just try to force an outcome instead of just being in the moment and trusting the journey. It's an interesting world because you see in mathematics, if you study harder, you might get certain concepts, right? Right. But in in uh, personal growth, it doesn't normally work like this. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's, it's such doesn't. a funny thing because people are always like, "How do you? So how do you learn intuition?" You know, we'll, we try logically to understand something which is the opposite of logic or right. how do you let go? I'm trying so hard. You can't try hard to let go. It's the opposite. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. This one RMT that I saw um, years ago, he said, you just need to let go. I'm like, I'm trying to let go. <laughs> and he said, how can you let go of something that you've never held on to? And he said, you need to fully embrace and hold it to be able to then let it go. And for me, that was a good analogy of certain things that I wasn't fully wanting to come to terms with or denying. And so then it's like, all right, I'm going to embrace all the mess. I'm going to hold it. <laughs> then I'm going to let it go. <laughs> but there is a difference between trying to let it go, acknowledging it, and then letting it go. Well, this has been such an amazing conversation. Is there anything else that you want to share on the topic of Flossom, being flossom, embracing flossomness, um, self-acceptance, self-love, anything else that you feel called to share? I, I think I have to go to sleep soon. Yes, definitely. I'd like to share. <laughs> definitely for hours and hours and hours. No, uh, obviously it's, it's a parting question. So I guess uh, what I would like to leave the listeners with is that yeah. You know, authenticity or self-love, uh, well, they're, they're combined in my world. <laughs> you can't be authentic without loving yourself. Mm -hmm. It's about you. It's your relationship with you. And the rest of the world is just a reflection of your relationship with you. So if you could just make your own rules about what it means to be you and be, and just listen to that and, um, ask everyone else to take a break and come back later. <laughs> <laughs> then maybe it could be a good start to start unraveling this, uh, this, um, this process. Because being honest with yourself is scary only because you think you're doing it for someone else. But if you know that your love is unconditional, your love for yourself is unconditional, and you only have to be honest with yourself, you don't have to be honest with the rest of the world. It's not necessary. I mean, of course, don't lie, but <laughs> if you can, but it's not about really, it's not about going out there on the street square on the, and, and telling everyone your life's darkest secrets. It's not about that. Can you tell yourself your darkest secret? Tell yourself like, this is me and I'm okay with that because that's what makes me me. Can you try to see your value in what makes you you and not try to be something that someone tells you? And I know it seems so simple, but the thing is that we often adopt that and we make it our personal goal. 
So it's such a funny thing. On one side, I think that our problem is that we are trying so hard to be something else. But on the other hand, it is only you who creates that goal and who actually forces you into that path. Well, unless you live in the developing world where the dynamics might be different. But basically, I guess the parting message would be that make your own rules about what it means to be you. Yeah. As when we last met, we, we had this beautiful saying, you do you. Yeah, that's true. It's so true. You do you. That that was one of the themes for sure. Uh, well, thank you so much, Christina. This has been such a such an inspiring conversation. I've had chills multiple times. My cheeks are cramping because I've been smiling so much. <laughs> and thank you for doing the work that you do in this world and for sharing all of the inspiration that you do. Where can people find you? And I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. So now um, the Mind Valley co-founder me is speaking. Okay. Uh, go to Mind Valley. I'm one yeah. of the authors. You'll find me there. <laughs> and now the Christina is speaking on my Instagram, of course. I'm, I'm there writing personally. Perfect. I'll make sure that I link to that. And thanks again for having this late night chat with me. I really appreciate it. And um, I thought maybe that we'd even have a glass of wine to cheer. It's like, it's, it's past <gasps> noon here. <laughs> of course I would have brought a glass of wine. <laughs> I know. I forgot. I was going to get some bubbly because that just seems to be another thing that we do. <laughs> and we, sure. you know what? we can live by our own rules. <laughs> yes. Awesome. We'll have a wonderful day and thanks for joining me again. So what did you think? I absolutely loved that conversation with Christina. It left me feeling inspired and empowered. And more importantly, it left me feeling peaceful just being me. And isn't that what we all came here to be? ourselves. And so why do we try to change ourselves? Let's make it a goal to embrace ourselves and to become more of who we're here to be in 2022. So I would love to hear from you. What was your one big takeaway from the episode? You can head over to Instagram and connect with me at the Glojo or at Leanne Kalal and send me a DM or leave a comment on the post. Share your one biggest takeaway. And if you have more than one, of course, I want to hear them all. I'll look forward to hearing from you and I'll be sure to link to those profiles in the show notes for this episode. As we come to the end of 2021 and the end of this episode, I want to take a moment and thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for following and subscribing. Thank you for having conversations with me and connecting with me over on Instagram. Thank you for your reviews. Thank you for sharing the show with your friends and family and loved ones. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful and I'm honored to be able to do this. And I'm really excited for what 2022 has in store. So with that, have a wonderful day and I look forward to connecting with you again soon in the new year. Bye for now.